On this episode of Sermons to Myself, we are getting into the second fruit of the spirit that I wanted to talk about. And I'm going to be honest, it took me a minute to get from love, which we did last week, which you heard last week, to the fruit of the spirit that we're going to focus on this week. There's a few reasons behind that. First, I really wanted to read about and research and study and meditate on what this next fruit of the spirit really means and really is, not just to me, but to God. And because this is sermons to myself, I really had to pray about it. I really had to talk to God about it. I really had to listen to him and what he was telling me to do and what he was telling me to say and what he wanted me to focus on for this next fruit of the spirit, just because I could go so many different ways with this particular fruit of the spirit. It's talked about quite a bit, in my opinion, but not at the level that I think really satisfies the thirst for knowledge that we have when it comes to this topic. And so when I decided I was going to preach on it, um, I did the same thing and I say preach, but I mean, we know these aren't, I'm not a preacher. I am, when I decided I was going to talk about it, when I was gonna, decided I was going to share what God was telling me, I needed to make sure I knew what God was telling me. And so I decided to do a lot of reading and really not just from the Bible, but also other people's perspectives of what the Bible says on this topic. And so that second fruit of the spirit that we're going to focus on is joy, which I mean, love is my favorite fruit of the spirit, but joy is the one that's closest to me. Joy is the one that I think I feel all the time. Joy is the one that I really believe shifted my focus and allowed me to really become faith-filled. And I think joy is also the one that has allowed me to love the way that I do and to, to find peace and solitude in love through joy is kind of what I've been able to do. And when I really think about my journey with God and I really think about my walk with Christianity and my relationship with him, it started with joy. It started with not just wanting to find joy, but realistically, it started with wanting to be happy, right? I looked at the people around me and I, and I said, who are the happiest people I know? And those people are unequivocally growing up, my mom, despite all that she went through, and then my grandma, again, despite all that she went through. So when I became an adult, I was still able to talk to my grandma and find out why she had so much joy. And we talked about it. We, we really did talk a lot. Like, how can you always be happy? How, how when you were on a hospital bed, um, you know, with your heart only working at 20% and the doctor's telling you you have to find a new heart within the next few days or you're going to die, how were you still able to smile and crack jokes and laugh? You know, right after your heart surgery where you had literally got your heart replaced with someone else's, how were you able to smile and laugh? And then when we met those people, the, the, the parents and the sister and the son of the woman whose heart you now have in your chest, how were you able to 
laugh with them and joke with them? How are they able to laugh with you and joke with you? Where does that come from? Because this doesn't seem like a pleasant moment. This doesn't seem like a positive experience. So why is everyone so happy? And one day we were on the phone and I was in, I mean, I was in my car crying. So what had happened was that day I had, I mean, anyone who's known me since high school know that in high school I drove a 1998 Toyota Camry. Drove it not just in high school, but all the way through college as well. And that particular day, my Camry, I had driven it to Louisiana and back and it died, literally died, just died on the highway. I kept filling it up, kept filling it up, kept driving it, kept trying to get it to where it needed to go. And by the time I made it to my apartment, it was done. And I didn't have the money to go get a new car. I didn't, at least I didn't think I did. I didn't have the resources. I still had to get to work the next day. I still had to do all of these things. And I had spent my rent money getting the car fixed just enough to get back home. And so I called my grandma. I was like, this adult thing, maybe it's not for me. And I was literally once. This is the start of my last year of college. So I was one semester from finished. I have no real classes. I'm taking like... Remedial English, student teaching, um, weightlifting, and speed walking. Those were the classes I had to make up my full time so that I could just finish my student teaching. And I called my grandma and I was like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. (laughs) I don't know what God is trying to tell me because at this point I had now gotten back into trying to build a relationship with God. And maybe he doesn't, maybe I'm not supposed to be teaching. Maybe I'm not supposed to finish college. Maybe I'm not. And she said, I understand why you're so sad. And I think you have every reason to cry right now. But don't, you don't have any reason to panic. You have reason to cry. You don't have reason to panic. I said, well, I'm panicking and I don't know what else to do. You don't have no money, so you can't give me none. And my dad doesn't have no money, so he can't give me none. And I don't have no money, so I can't find it. All the money I had, I should have just, it would have been cheaper to just get an Uber back from Louisiana if the car was going to die anyway. I, I mean, I went all through all the things. And she said, let me tell you something. And I know that when she says, let me tell you something, the words that are coming next aren't going to be polite. They're not going to be the ones you want to hear. They're not going to be the ones you feel full of. She said, you put me on speakerphone. I said, OK. She said, now go to that little appy thing you have for the Bible, because she had just yelled at me the Sunday prior for pulling out my phone in church. And I showed her that I was on the Bible. And there was no reason for me to carry a paper Bible because I can now make notes in my phone. She wasn't having it. She still carried a Bible. But I pulled out my Bible app and she said, OK, now go to James 1 and 2. And I said, OK, I'm there. She said, man, that was fast. And I said, well, yeah, <laughs> it's, all I had to do is type it in. <laughs> and she said, now read it to me. I said, and then I read it. James 1 and 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And he said, okay, now read that one again and then keep going until I tell you to stop. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave in the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not know that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double minded. He is. A and then she said, stop. And I said, OK, I get it. I've heard this before. Counted all joy. You know what I'm saying I, I understand what she said. Shelman, listen to me. Life is going to be hard. There's never going to be a time when you feel like you understand everything that's going on. There's never going to be a time where you feel like you've got it all figured out. There's never going to be a time where everything is perfect. What you have to do is count it all joy anyway. Whatever heartbreak you go through, whatever trials you go through, whatever tribulations you go through, whatever setbacks you have to face, Every time your bank is empty, every time you owe something, every time you don't pass something, every time you fail, count it all joy. That doesn't mean you can't cry. That doesn't mean you can't be sad in the moment. I said, well, how can I, how can I be sad and count it all joy at the same time? She said, joy has nothing to do with your emotions. And we talked a little bit longer, but that's the part that I want to talk about in this episode of Sermon to Myself. Joy has nothing to do with your emotions. See, when, when you are first starting to hear about joy, you automatically go to what we as humans think of as happiness. You know, a pleasant, positive emotion. We say... If it's joy, if it's bringing us joy, if it's supposed to bring us joy, then it must also make us happy. And that's just not the case. Joy allows you to be, appear happy in times that may not always be happy. Joy gives you the peace to be content in negative situations. But joy does not equal happy. Joy and happy are not synonymous. And, and when I realized that, and it wasn't in this conversation with my grandma. It wasn't, it wasn't at this moment. When she said that to me, I continued crying. Um, like I said, we, had, we talked for probably another 30, 40 minutes after that. I continued crying. I went upstairs. I cried some more. Um... My car was stuck there in that apartment complex even after I moved out. That car was there probably two or three years longer than I was. But eventually, I started to realize what she was trying to tell me. Joy can't be dependent on the circumstances that you're in. Because joy is the ability to be content, believing that God is working things for your good. So even if it doesn't seem good right now, God is going to somehow contort this situation, somehow shift this situation, somehow maneuver this situation into being something that is positive for him. Which means it may not always be positive for you in your eyes, but it is positive for him. So the first thing I had to realize in order to understand joy 
was to understand that joy only comes from God. You can't get joy from earth. You can't get joy from living. You can't get joy from the people around you. Joy is not man created. It is not man sustained. It is not man destroyed. Only God can give you joy, which means only God can take away your joy. And one of my favorite songs to sing growing up, just in the car, one of my favorite songs to listen to, and it's partly because of placement of the song in the CD, is Joy on Yolanda Adams' um, Live from Washington, right? So I want to say it's track number seven, but it may be number nine. But just the placement of it on the CD, that would be the last song we heard getting out of the car going home. So my mom would start the CD when we leave for church, right? So we'd get through the CD, going to church, and then coming home. And when we were getting out of the car, as long as we didn't make any stops, if we were getting out of the car going home, getting home, it would be the song Joy. That song would be the last song that played in completion. And so I always assumed it was the last song of the CD because, of course, on Sundays, my mom also did other things. And so she would get back in the car and the CD would continue. But I would never hear anything that was after that. By the time I got in this car again, it was a different CD playing. And so I always assumed it was the last song on the CD. But even more than that, hearing that introduction, that piano coming in, let me know, ooh, we're almost home. And that could have been subconscious, but it probably wasn't. It let me know that we were almost home. And so I would wake up. And so I always got to hear it. And it's a happy song. It's a pleasant song. It's a nice backbeat. And it's a good song to get home to. But one of the lines in the song was, This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me, and this world cannot take it away. And so I remember that, like, that's something, you know, music from when you're a kid is ingrained into you. Those lyrics, whether you want to or not, are lyrics that you live by, which is why, and this is a side note, it's super important that we monitor what the children around us are listening to, or even more than that, what we're listening to when children are around us, what lyrics we're quoting when children are around us, what songs we're singing when children are around us, because the words that we sing and the words that are repeated to children are words that are ingrained into them. And it's words that they remember. And it's not just words that they remember, it's words that they call back. When it's when they get in a tough spot, when they need motivation, when they need a quote, when they need some sort of guidance, they call back on what they remember, what's been ingrained into them. And a lot of things that we hear more than once, a lot of the best repetition we get comes from our music. And so if the music you're listening to isn't the music you would want your children to live by, you may want to change the music you're listening to, because what is repeated to them is what will come out of them when they get stressed. But back on our point, that's what the song said. The world didn't give it to me and this world cannot take my joy away. And so knowing that, I I always wondered, okay, if the world didn't give it to me, that means God gave it to me. How did he give it to me? When did he give it to me? How do I know how to use it? All of these questions came up. And my simplest answer was it's. You get it 
simply because God is in you. So last week in the love, in, in the sermon on love, it was impressed to me that the reason God can continually love me through sin, through trials, through tribulations is because he is in me. The same thing comes with joy. We have joy because our Lord cannot be taken away from us because God is in us. And he we didn't put him in us. He put it, put him in us. The joy of the Lord. Now that makes sense, right? That phrasing makes sense. The joy of the Lord is the joy that we have. And it can only be the joy of the Lord if the Lord is in us. But we know from last week's message that the Lord is in us because he placed himself in us. And so joy also is in us. And so if you look at John 16, 22, it says, therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. And this is this is Jesus talking to the disciples right before his crucifixion. And he was telling them, I'm about to go submit, basically. They're looking for me. If you don't know the story of the crucifixion in the background behind it, the government and I'm putting that in air quotes. You just can't see my fingers because this is a podcast such as life. But the government was looking for Jesus for being a false prophet or for claiming that he was the son of God. And they had already said they were going to kill him because that's crimes against the government. And so he was telling he had been evading them, not necessarily running from them but not submitting himself. And we know that God can't be captured, right? Jesus couldn't have been captured. The only way for them to get him was for him to submit and say, okay, you can take me now. And so Jesus was telling his disciples, okay, it's about time. I'm finna go to them. I'm finna just let them have me. And in that he said, I see that you're sad. I get it. You're going to be heartbroken because I'm about to die. I am your leader. But even more than that, I am your friend. I am someone you lean on for support emotionally and physically. I am someone you come to when you don't feel good. I brought you like you have to remember, Jesus rescued a lot of these people, saved them from themselves. They weren't in great places. Some of them were financially set. Some of them had great jobs, but spiritually they weren't good and they knew that. And Jesus saved them the same way he did for us. And so he said, I get it. Like, imagine, like, we love Jesus, right? And so if Jesus comes back to us, the, the connection a lot of us would feel to him is, is going to be the closest connection we'd have to anybody. Like, my relationship with God is closer than my relationship to anyone else. So if, if someone told me you can no longer have a relationship with God, that would be heartbreaking to me. So imagine having that same relationship, except actually knowing God. These people ate with God, slept with God, walked with God, had talks with God. These people knew him better than pretty much anybody else. But even more than that, they actually got to spend time really communing in the physical with God. And he has told them, I'm now about to die. Some of us have had the harsh reality of a parent knowing that they were about to die or a grandparent. With my mom, I didn't know. She left one day for Target and that was the last time I saw her. 
there was no preparation. I didn't, get to pre- I didn't get to prepare for her to die. And so, yes, it was heartbreaking, but it was more of, I wish I could have said one more thing. I wish I could have done one more thing. With my grandma, when she passed, we knew it was coming. Even as much as that day, we were able to go in and we knew that that day was going to be the last day. But I also was there on her last day that she was able to speak. And so I was able to speak to her one last time and tell her one last time verbally and hear from her one last time verbally what I meant to her and what she meant to me. We were able to have that conversation. That was actually more painful, physically painful, than when my mom died because I knew the heartbreak I was going to face. I knew what loss felt like already. And in that moment, it hurt more to know I am about to, the anticipation for the pain hurt more than the actual pain. But isn't that normal? Isn't that, isn't that kind of what we do in regular life? Right? Why, why do people lie? Well, because they're trying to avoid pain. So they lie to avoid whatever pain they think they're going to have. And then when they get to the actual pain, because lying doesn't stop you from getting to the actual pain. Once you get there, it's usually not as bad as you anticipated. Right? Roller coasters. The anticipation of going up the hill. And then even the anticipation of coming down, because when you come down a roller coaster, the fear that you get, the tense that you get, the adrenaline that you, the adrenaline that you feel is all in anticipation that the roller coaster somehow won't work and you could be hurt seriously. Pain. Physical pain. Right? It's, if, ro- if you didn't think you could die on a roller coaster, it wouldn't be scary. If you didn't think you could die in a haunted house, it wouldn't be scary. That's what makes the haunted house fun is that these, these, these presentations of danger could actually somehow harm you. And so you're constantly anticipating that one of these things will jump out and hit you, will jump out and grab you, will jump out and stab you, will jump out and kill you. And that is what creates that feeling, that tense feeling. And as you go through it, you realize nothing happens. And that's what these disciples were feeling. And in that moment, Jesus understood that. He said, I get that you're sad. You now have sorrow. But I will see you again. And when I do, your heart will rejoice. And that joy, that joy that you feel then, no one will take it from you. Not because they won't want to, but because they can't. To go even further, if you go back to Deuteronomy 31 and 6, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them for the Lord, your God. He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. See, God is always going to be with you because as we said in the last in last week's episode with love on love. God is in you. When God made you, when God created you, he created you with him as a part of you. Part of his spirit, the Holy Spirit is already in you. You just have to learn how to 
access him and you have to allow him, the Holy Spirit, to be active in you. And when you allow him to be active in you, you will get joy in the same way you will be able to give love. Because it's not something that the world has the ability to give you or take away from you. People can make you happy. And people can take away your happiness. People cannot give you joy and they cannot take away your joy. And even more than that, because as I was doing the research, and this is one of the reasons, this specific piece of it is one of the reasons that it took me a little bit longer to record this. Because I really had to hear and understand what God was saying. And so I said, okay. And part of my prayer was because I understood this, right? Happiness is not joy. That was something I understood because, again, Yolanda Adams ingrained it to, in me when I was a child. And so I understood that, but I had never asked, okay, if joy doesn't equal happiness, what does joy equal? If joy isn't happiness, what is joy? And he gave me a few words, the first of which is salvation. Joy doesn't equal happiness, it equals salvation. We, we have joy because Jesus allowed us to be restored and have joy. See, if you really read the Bible, God created the earth to have joy abundantly. He gave Adam and Eve, the ability to just have joy and be merry, right? And he said, the tree of knowledge will allow you to know right from wrong. Therefore, once they took a bite of that apple from the tree of knowledge and were able to see and know right from wrong, they could no longer have joy. Because they were no longer free from sin. If you don't know right from wrong, you can't stop yourself from doing wrong. Like the way I've interpreted, the way I've understood it, the way that God has given it to me. And like I say every week, I'm not a pastor. Feel free to disagree and we can chit chat about it. Matter of fact, you can come on here and we can talk about it on the record. Because I want to learn and I want to hear and I want to understand. And I think part of me talking to God and going to God and putting these sermons out is for him to give me a better understanding from others. And so part of it is me going to him and talking to him and getting words from him. But part of it is communicating and conversing and really articulating what I believe and listening to what other people believe and hearing him through them. And so what I've understood so far is God said Adam and Eve cannot sin because they don't know sin. They literally don't know what it is to sin. They don't know what it means to be sinful. And if you if you don't know what it is to be sinful, if you don't know sin, you can't do sin. 
That's why they said we're all born sinners because we all innately know now because of Adam and Eve right from wrong. You can say babies don't understand certain things, but there are certain things they do understand. They do understand when they're underwater to hold their breath. They understand that when food is in their mouth, their body needs to swallow. They understand breathe in, breathe out. So they do understand certain things. No one had to teach us not to fight other people, not to hit other people, not to kill other people. That's not something we were taught. That feels bad when we do it. Hurting others feels bad naturally. See, we're born with the knowledge of right and wrong. Because Adam and Eve, who were not born with the knowledge of right and wrong, ate from the tree of knowledge, which God said not to do. And that gave them the knowledge of right and wrong. And so everybody between Adam and Eve and Jesus dying on the cross couldn't feel joy because Jesus had not died for their sins yet. Which means these people had to repent on their own and go to God on their own, but they couldn't. Most people could not talk directly to God and he talked directly back. Most people needed a mediator. And I'm saying most just because I don't want to speak in absolutes because that's just my understanding right now. But again, I'm open to hearing from others. But what what I've learned in my research of this is that when Jesus died, he didn't just die for our sins. He died so that we could experience joy. Because only through salvation in Jesus Christ do we have that joy that God gave us originally restored. If we look at Habakkuk, and I think I'm saying that right, Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18, it says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fall, fail, and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. See, you can't actually experience joy if you don't believe that Jesus Christ saved you. And and. Even further in that scripture says it doesn't matter what else is happening because Jesus Christ saved you. You will always be able to experience joy. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. Trees may not blossom. Fruits may not be on the vines, which means you may not be able to eat. You may not be able to work. You may not have animals. All of your livestock may have disappeared. But even with all of that, because God saved you, you will still have joy. It doesn't say you'll still be happy. But it does say you'll still have joy. And even further than that, in 1 Peter 1, 8 through 9, it says, Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, that the first word he gave me, I said, well, if joy is not happiness, what is if joy doesn't equal happiness, what does joy equal? He, the first thing he said was salvation. Because you have been saved by Christ. You have joy. And then the second word he gave me, and this is actually it took me a few days to really meditate on this 
specifically. The second word he gave me was faith. And he gave me Luke 15 and 7. I say unto you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. Because the faith you have to have to repent means I trust that God will love me enough to hear my cry for forgiveness and continue to give me and love me and give me grace and give me mercy and show me abundance and allow me to have joy and accept me into heaven, even though I've sinned because I've repented. That's faith because we don't know that that will happen. And God said, if you if if everything you do is good, if everything you do works, if you never have to turn to me, God, to help you. If you never have to lean not on your own understanding and in all ways acknowledge me, then what do you have to have faith for? If you are able to provide all of your own stability and happiness, why do you need me? And believing in God is the ultimate act of faith. Believing that Jesus died for your sins is the ultimate act of faith. That belief is the act of faith because There are so many, like, realistically, there are sins that are fun and feel good in the moment that don't make you feel bad later. Like, obviously, eating too much cake, your stomach hurts. To be real real in 2022, shacking up without marriage is just a good business decision. In real life. Being committed without being committed is just the best business because rent is high. Rent is high. And so it's easier to split the bills in half than it is to say, I'm going to cover all of my own bills until I'm ready to be committed to someone so fully that if we choose not to continue a relationship together, I have to give them half of everything I own. Because that's what marriage says. Marriage says, if, if I'm going to marry you, especially I, I'm in Texas, in Texas, once you're married, any property I buy, whether you give me a dime to help me pay for it or not, is our property. Somehow, maybe they've made the decision. I'm willing to put in all the work, but maybe they decide that I'm not the person that you put on earth for them. I'm willing to follow you and commit With the chance of having to lose half of everything I have. And I have the faith to know that even if I have to give them half of everything, you can always supply all of my needs. And you will always give me what you need for me to have in order to do what I what you need for me to do. You want me to live blessed abundantly. And so I have faith that this marriage will work. Even though it's easier not to get married. So how does that relate to joy? When you have faith that all things work together for those who love the Lord. When you have faith that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. When you have faith. Faith that you will be planted by the river or you'll be planted like a tree by the river, bearing fruit in all seasons with roots, with leaves never withering and everything you do will prosper. When you have faith. 
then it's easy to have joy. Because the third word he gave me was, if joy is not, if joy does not equal happiness, then joy equals salvation. Joy equals faith. And the last one, joy equals peace. It says, if you look at Psalms 30 and 5. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I know one song I used to listen to again on the way to church with my mom in the car. And again, this is why we should be focusing on what we're playing in the car with our children. The, the artist said, a lot of us think that joy comes in the morning, meaning morning is when the sun comes up. But morning is just when you wake up. And some of you need to wake up out of the sleep that you're in. Joy is here. Wake up. And then they've been. And I, I've carried that with me. Morning doesn't have to be. When the sun rises. Morning can be whenever you have gotten out of one season because sleep is when you grow. So once you've gotten out of that season of growth and you get to that other side, joy is on that other side. And it also says weeping may endure for a night, meaning that feeling, that emotion should be momentary. It shouldn't be permanent. Anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. So God, a lot of people say God doesn't get angry. Yes, he does. But his anger is only for a moment. His favor is for life. His favor will always last. His grace, his mercy will always endure. And so if he can only be angry for a moment and he's the God of everything, what makes you feel like you can feel your emotions forever? God says, I am a perfect God who loves perfectly. And even I experience and express my emotions. Right? There are several times in the Bible where God is angry, where God is disappointed, where God is sad, where God is happy. But those are moments. But God is always forgiving. God is always peaceful. God is always joyful. God is always merciful. And so, yes, you can feel your emotions if we are to live like him and try to live as close to God and Jesus as we can. It is OK for us to experience emotion. It is not OK for us to live in emotion. And that's where joy comes in. Joy is the ability to experience the emotion and get out of it. Joy is the ability to experience the pain and get out of it. Joy is the ability to experience the hurt and get out of it. Joy is finding the peace in the situation. Finding the peace in the storm is what will Resonate the joy that you have. 
It's what lights the joy that you have, right? Joy is always in us. But in order to really, really activate your joy, you have to find peace. And you can't find peace unless you have first accepted salvation. Admit that Jesus Christ saved you you from sin. So you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which means you accept that the Holy Spirit is in you. Then you, you, you accept that I have to have faith. I have to believe that God will never leave me nor forsake me and that he will always do what is best for him. If I'm working in his kingdom, all things shall work for his good. So I don't have to worry about anything, but pray about everything. And if I do those things, then I will find peace that surpasses all understanding. And that'll give you joy. And when you have joy, you can feel hope. See, I think a lot of people think if you are hopeful, you will find joy. But I think the, the revelation I had in this week, just learning and listening and talking to God, the revelation I had was that hope doesn't lead to joy. Joy leads to hope. And that's important for me, who is someone who has to work through mental illness and work through depression and work through anxiety. There are times when I feel hopeless. But Romans 15 and 13 says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, God, before you can abound in hope, God has to fill you with joy and peace and believing faith. See, I thought I was thinking to myself this whole time. I'm just going to keep hoping that God gives me joy. I'm just going to keep hoping that God gives me joy. And God told me this week, I've already given you joy. The joy that you have is what allows you to hope. Well, hope for what? Anything. Because hope is faith expanded to me. Hope is faith expanded. Hope is saying, not only do I have faith that it'll happen, but I, I am hoping it'll happen. Right? I I'm, not only do I believe that it will, but I have this, this feeling that is that what I'm asking for is unrealistic. So in Hebrews 11 and 1, he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. So in order to really have faith, you have to have hoped for something. And the faith is the belief that what you hoped for is going to happen. So if joy is salvation and joy is faith and joy is peace. And in order to be hopeful, you have to experience joy. You can't even start to believe you can't even start to ask God. And this is the piece that really struck me. This is the piece that really took me a minute to to wrap my head around this week. You can't even begin to ask God for his vision of your life. 
You can't even begin to hope for the things that God has already promised you. You can't even begin to ask God to start living in your purpose. You can't even begin to ask God to release his blessings on you. Until you have found joy. Because you have to have faith that he'll do it. And it's faith equals the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for. Like once I've hoped for it, if I know that God is going to do it, that's faith. Once I've asked God for it and I believe I have faith, I believe that it's in his will for my life. Me acting like it's already done, that's joy. That's what brings the joy. And so it sounds almost like I'm repeating myself and at the same time being hypocritical and at the same time going against what I've said. But realistically, what I'm saying is this, the fruit of the spirit of joy, true joy is cyclical. It's a cycle. It, it allows me to say, this is the vision God gave to me. So I believe God saved me from sin. Salvation. So I'm at peace with who I am as a person and my growth in my relationship with him. Peace. I am living in his word and therefore I know that he will give me the directions in order to continue walking on the path that he has laid out for me. He will continue to order my steps. That's faith. So because I know he will order my steps and direct my path, I can have joy and be content in whatever life I'm living because all of my needs will be met and he will never let me suffer because he will never put more on me than I can bear. Peace, joy, contentment. But because I also know that he has promised me blessings and he has promised me life and life more abundantly, I can hope for millions of dollars, billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. Let me not limit myself. I can hope for businesses that change the way that people treat each other. I can hope for influence that impacts people and leads people to Christ. I can hope for an abundance of resources so that I can continue to give and impact people, not just spiritually, but physically. I can hope for a happy life, not just joy, but also happiness. Because do not get me wrong. I would like to be both joyful and happy. I can hope for all of those things. And then again, have faith that he's going to do them because he is my Lord and Savior. And because he has always done what he said he's going to do. And I don't have to worry about it because I feel peace, which allows me to do it easier because I'm always in joy, which allows people to want to be around me and want to help me, which allows me to do more for others, which allows me to have more joy, which allows me to have more peace, which allows me to have more faith. And it's cyclical. 
or, or as the theme song of Married with Children says, you can't have one without the other. See, I, I wanted when I when I thought, OK, I'm going to do love first, then I'm going to do joy. When I sat down to think about joy, when I sat down to record joy, because I recorded love and I was ready to record joy that same day. And I sat down and I hit the button and I said, OK, this world did not give me my joy and this world cannot take it away. What does that mean? And I went blank. But now when I ask that question, what does that mean? It means, well, God gave it to me and it's already in me. If you are a human born, you have joy. Now, do you have to learn how to access that joy? Yes, because you have to learn how to access the Holy Spirit. What, what do you need to access the Holy Spirit? Faith and love. And you have to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So salvation. And once you've accessed the Holy Spirit, once you've accessed that joy that's inside of you, he will give you peace. He will bring you hope. And then once you've gotten all of those things, once you've learned that all you need to do is pray and believe and depend on him, you will have faith and it'll be easy to have faith because you'll be able to hope for all of these things because you have faith and you'll be at peace with whatever life throws at you because you have joy. But you'll always be able to consider it all joy or count it all joy because you have faith that all things will work together for the good of those who love the Lord. And because you know that you believe that he died for your sins and that he loves you inexplicably and he loves you unabashedly. Then you can have joy because, you know, he will never leave you or forsake you. And it just keeps going. <laughs>